either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Supersize edition of the podcast this week. Double the fun. Double the movies. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, and we are from MadWolf.com. Since we'll be we will be on vacation next week, we're going to go ahead and cover the films coming out next week that mm-hmm. we've already seen. That's Take right. care of it that way. Mm-hmm. See, uh, and we'll start with one that's coming out uh, in select theaters this weekend. Going to hit Netflix in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's a love story that chronicles the lifelong relationship of conductor composer Leonard Bernstein and actress Felicia Montalegre Cohn Bernstein. It's called Maestro. He can be the first great American conductor. <laughs> There's a price for being in my brother's orbit, you know that. I love people so much that it's hard for me to be alone. That music, it keeps me glued to life. You don't even know how much you need me to know. I might. And Summer doesn't sing anymore. And nothing seems to be. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. This is one we've been hearing about for a while. The latest project from director and co-writer and star Bradley Cooper. It's an amazing achievement. It's when you watch this movie. It's amazing to think this is just his second feature as a director. I mean, A Star is Born was good, mm-hmm. but man, the directing in this movie is what 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 an achievement. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that strikes you right off, it begins in this very peppy, high-energy, stellar, beautiful black and white, but the way that everything about the production design, including the color, changes as the era changes mm-hmm. is just beautiful to me. It's so well put together. Yeah, the color changes, uh, the aspect ratio changes Yeah, everything as well. does. Yeah, as it follows the life, but not just the life, of Leonard Bernstein. It does, it does do a good job of giving an overview. I think most people, especially that are coming to this movie, are interested in this movie, know who Leonard Bernstein was, an incredible American composer. So it does fill in, you know, timelines about his life and his work, but it does it, it anchors it in this relationship uh, of the uh, of Leonard and his wife, Felicia, played by Carrie Mulligan. My God. Bound for an Oscar nomination. Bound for, they're both yeah. very, very really good. Are, but yeah. I think it shows uh, Cooper's generosity as an actor, as a director, as a writer, to realize it was smarter to make her, I mean, she is the soul of yeah, this she movie. she is, yeah. She really is. And she gives a tremendous performance. Uh, yeah, I expect a, an Oscar nomination for sure. Because it's not your your typical put-upon wife character at all. No. I mean, she is such a complex and fascinating person. Yeah, yeah. And so is he. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so is he. And the uh, there's every technical aspect of the movie is just first rate mm-hmm. just first mm-hmm. rate you, you mentioned how it looks i mean the cinematography uh the sound of course the score is yeah. is uh, cooper uses bernstein's music himself and put in in just thrilling s- spots mm-hmm. it, it's used to such good to such good effect and and the makeup you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the hairstyling and makeup to show Bernstein as an older man is very good. It really is. There's, Of course, there's the famous scene that that uh, Cooper, uh, you know, practiced for so long to get the conducting, and he's mm-hmm. just real sweaty. It goes over so long. Like, to see, I, I mean, it had to have been a wig, but it was all sweaty and full of, it just looked so, so realistic. Yeah, that's through the, the technical aspect of it as well, but it's also... An incredibly human and emotional story about mm-hmm. two people. I mean, the co-writer, uh, Bradley Cooper's co-writer on this, is Josh Singer, and he has uh, written some movies like Spotlight mm-hmm. and First Man <laughs> and The Post. So good stuff there. But as much as it centers on this relationship and this bond that continued through a lot of trials and tribulations, on a on a broader level. It speaks to the sacrifices that artists make for their art and that their loved ones have to make as well. Yeah. You know, because through her eyes, through Felicia's eyes, 
we see how his life as as an artist, as a very you know ego driven artist, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that, and just larger than life personality takes its toll, as well as his life as a closeted gay man. Mm-hmm. And early on in their relationship, you know, she promises him freedom, guilt guilt free type of lifestyle, and then it's it's more of the emotional distance as the years go on between between Bernstein herself and their children. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you can just see it in her eyes. Yeah, well, she's got a great line she delivers, and she says, you know, that she always felt sorry for her children because she would see the way that they really hated only getting a fraction of it, like having to vie for his attention, and right. she felt like she was above that. And she realized late in her life, Nope, she wasn't above that. What she really, what they all wanted was his attention. Of course. And there is another line about surviving on only what he could give them. Mm-hmm. And so so that that's that's what is the glue that holds this together. But it does give you an over, it's not a, a birth to de- death sort of uh, biography about Bernstein, but you they use a very organic device of interviews, mm-hmm. of uh, Leonard giving interviews, and then you fill in, you know, highlights of his life and things like that. But uh, it's a it's a fascinating and such a beautifully constructed movie. It's just a little bit over two hours. I I really don't think it drags because, I mean, oh, set no. piece after set piece is just eye popping. And oh, there's yeah. there's one scene in particular where they have a real soul bearing argument. But it's and I don't want to give it away, but it's it's contrasted with the this visual these visuals that are not usually thought of in a negative light. Right, now. And, and it, for me, it really in, it mirrored the emotional rawness of the, of the big famous fight in Marriage Story in a totally different way. It's an amazing scene and an extended take as yeah, well. Yeah, there are a lot there are a of lot very of, extended takes. This is really an impressive, as you said earlier, this is an impressive piece of direction. It really, really is. Um, he's he's a, such an accomplished filmmaker already. I mean, he's done, just look at the, the films he's done, uh, whether he's directing or acting or whatever, just really building up a solid, solid resume. And now with just his second feature, this is it, it, as good as A Star is Born was. You know, we liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. This is like, wow, yeah. really flexing some muscles yes. here. Um, he, is, he is a top-notch filmmaker and actor we've known that and co-writer so this is this is uh one of the best of the year and this is one even though it's coming on netflix in a couple of weeks you want to get the full experience yeah it's not playing it's not playing everywhere theatrically so if it is in your town take advantage take advantage because man it looks it looks fantastic and it's going to be up for a host of oscars and definitely worth it checking out maestro in select theaters now Next up is an animated fantasy adventure. A young boy named Mahito, yearning for his mother, ventures into a world shared by the living and the dead. There, death comes to an end and life finds a new beginning. It's a semi-autobiographical fantasy from the legendary Hayao Miyazaki. He's back with the boy and the heron. What is this place? This world is filled with the dead. I know it's a lie, but I have to see. I'm looking for someone. Let's go. We must protect this world ourselves. Go back, now! You and I aren't friends or allies, kid. Don't let go, no matter what. Ready? See this world? There's more work to be done. I remember, uh, you know, when we watched The Wind Rises mm-hmm. a few years ago, thinking to myself, like, what a what a beautiful way for maybe the greatest animator of all time to sort of end his career. And I was sad about it, though. I was sad about it. And then, you know, two years ago, it was like, oh, he's drawn again. He's back at it. And I was so happy. And this film, The Boy and the Heron, um, feels like a proper goodbye. That mm-hmm. is what it feels like. It feels like Miyazaki is saying goodbye to the worlds that he has created. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, gorgeous film, as you would expect it to be. Very painterly, really quite lovely. Yeah, he's in his 80s now, and 
you're right. With the wind rises, people kind of thought, and I don't think he dissuaded anybody from no. from calling that his no. swan song. No, but he's back, and that's and that's a good thing because uh, he's got such a, a resume of legendary films, and uh, it's good to have. And this one again, we, we we get these a lot toward the end of the year, but one of the best of the year. Oh my God, yes. Oh, holy cow, yes. It is one of the best of the year, and it's so you know it's funny because it's very much in keeping with with the films of his career. You know, um, uh, a boy and his father move to a new place. Well, just like Totoro, you know, that new place has got all kinds <laughs> of nutty stuff going on there. And, you know, and, and he wanders into a place where he's not supposed to be, just like spirited away. Anyway, you know, and the, and the child ends up alone with a, a whole bunch of weirdos and strange creatures in this upside down world. Absolutely no filmmaker on earth with the possible exception of del toro can create an upside down world like this you know and it's it's what you want it to be but at the same time it really there is such a you know it's still there's whimsy here for sure also a pirate but um (laughs) but there's just this this sense of sort of melancholy that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 just such a lyrical, lovely film. Yeah, and this one I think is a is a lock to be at least nominated for animated feature. I'm going to say right now it's going to win. Yeah, probably so. And and also in a, in many theaters that it's opening in, you can make the choice between seeing the original Japanese version with subtitles or the American dubbed version. And if you do. It's uh, choose the American version. It's uh, sports some serious superstar talent in the voice cast, including Christian Bale, um, Mark Hamill, Willem Dafoe, Dave Bautista. It's star studded with the voice cast. Yeah, it absolutely. But it's nice is. to have Florence the choice. Pugh. Yeah. Florence Pugh. Right? Yeah, it's it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And 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 either one, either version is yeah. either version is absolutely stunning. Absolutely, and that is the boy and the heron. Latest from Miyazaki in theaters this weekend. Let's stay in theaters for a pot-boiling mystery thriller. A woman's friendship with a new co-worker at the prison facility where she works takes a sinister turn. This is Eileen. People are so ashamed of their desires. I have my own ideas. Kind ideas? You can never tell anyone, do you understand? Promise me. Okay. That will make you crazy. That will make you kill. Can't imagine you with a knife. Can you imagine me with a gun? That's very good, Eileen. Yeah, I can see it. Ah! You're different these days. It's almost interesting. Secrets and lies. Some things are so twisted. The only way out is for someone to die. That was a great trick. Well, here's a couple of people that we always like to see in anything. And as you said in your written review for this, pretty perfectly cast in these two characters. Yeah, it really is. The vampy, noirish, uh, easy on the eyes character. That is Anne Hathaway all day. And then the the soft-spoken waif who, who, who longs for a new life. Uh, that is Thomas and Mackenzie. Love them And of both. course, great talents, both of them. So as much as that casting does seem... Very perfect. What's nice is to see how they handle their characters and move them slowly toward a a, a deadly intersection where maybe they start taking on qualities of the other one. Uh, and this is based on a best-selling book, and the director is William Oldroyd, who did uh, Lady Macbeth uh, a couple years ago, and the writer who adapts the screenplay, Luke Gobel, who did Causeway nice, a couple yeah. years ago. So so good stuff there, yeah. And it's set in the early 1960s, 24-year-old Eileen. She works as a secretary at this boys' correctional facility. Just, you know, bored. She just, put you know, whiles away the hours, and she stashes money away in an old cookie can uh, in her house where she, that she shares with her alcoholic, verbally abusive father, played by Shay Wiggum. Wiggum. Yeah. Always good. And he's the former police chief in town. So she gets kind of a wide berth because of that, because they still know that the chief, you know, is still alive. But he's he's paranoid and he's drunk and he likes to wave his gun around and yell at people. So it's not a very nice existence for Eileen. And she spends her days just having sexual and violent fantasies. And then her world is rocked because the uh, the um, staff psychologist there at the prison 
uh, the correctional facility, retires and is replaced by Rebecca Ann Hathaway. And she is like nobody that Eileen has ever seen. She's worldly and sophisticated and sexy, and she's she's Ivy League educated with a sarcastic wit, and she stands out. <laughs> and so they become friends, and they go out for a drink at a local bar, and, uh, you know, Rebecca is so quick to just belittle the leering regulars and just a very impressive figure to Eileen. So she is drawn to her. And of course, Eileen then accepts the invitation to come over to her house during the holiday break for for just for a visit and a drink or so. And then once she gets there, um, Rebecca has a bomb to drop, not only (laughs) to Eileen but to us right. as as a uh, as an audience if we haven't read the book and it's a it's a slow burn it really is it's a slow burn even though it's an, an only just a little bit over 90 minutes it takes a while it sort of lulls you as you sort of feel a creeping dread something is going to happen here and something definitely does and it's such a a, a cool throwback vibe. I think I didn't read the book, but I did read the, a synopsis of the uh, of the book's plot. You get the feeling that there are maybe maybe there's even more of a of a pulpy underbelly that uh, the director Old Roy doesn't doesn't know how to or, or isn't interested in, interested in specifically really diving into. Sort of keeping a little bit of a distance on that. That maybe he left certain things out of the book. And I will say. Just reading the uh, the end of the novel, a couple changes are made that I think fans of the novel uh, will definitely notice. It leaves the ending a lot more open-ended, a lot more abstract about what happens. But I still think very interesting, and the performances are great, and the the mood is is very very effective, especially if you like that that noirish thriller type, yeah. type of thing. Also, I did read about this movie that uh, they shot on a different type of digital camera, and it really looks like film stock. Mm. It really does. Mm-hmm. It's not, but it, it's, it looks like that old type of film as well. So uh, if you dig into that vibe and a couple of good performances in a mystery that has a quite a big turn <laughs> toward the end, you're like, what? Uh, <laughs> uh, this one I think will satisfy, and it's in theaters now, and it's called Eileen. Let's go to Netflix for this next one. A family's getaway to a luxurious rental home takes an ominous turn when a cyber attack knocks out their devices and two strangers appear at their door. It's called Leave the World Behind. We'll look back on this one day and laugh, I guarantee you. I think that ship is heading towards us. What? What what, what does that mean? We shouldn't speculate. Haven't you been picking up on what's going on out there? I don't want to panic over nothing. I don't think this is nothing. We're in this together until things get back to normal. There is no going back to normal. Get in the car! Whoever's pulling the strings wants us to finish it. We're going to be okay, right? Yeah. Da, da, da. Goom, 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 goom. Well, right off the bat, you've got Mahershala Ali, Julia Roberts, uh, Ethan Hawke. This is a this is a cast that makes you take notice. Yeah, it does, and it's the, the uh, co-writer and the director is Sam Esmile, who's from the he's the showrunner for Mr. Robot. Now we didn't watch that, but heard good things mm-hmm. about Mr. Robot. Yeah, this is very very intriguing. I think all you have to do is watch the trailer. Like, ooh, what's going on here? But as the synopsis says, uh, Julia and Ethan Hawke they are renting this luxurious home in upstate New York, and then strange strange things start start to happen just really unexplainable things and next thing you know the owner of that house Mahersha Ali and his daughter played by Mahela thank you that's how you pronounce it show up and they explain that they need to stay here too um even though the the other couple has paid for this they for the uh, for the week or whatever it was for the vacation they need to stay there too because these strange things are happening so they get to know each other as they navigate through this world crisis and try to find out more even though they're cut off from news reports and then the you know the phones are out and what's what's really going on there so this one this one takes a while to get to this is 2 hours and 20 minutes it's one that really doesn't feel like it has to be that long right. it really draws things out and of course the actors are very good 
and they dive into their characters. And that's part of it, too, getting to know these characters and how they they react to these events differently and react to different uh, the, the different um, news events, the different things that happen and their their views on it. Is it does it mean anything? Is it going to pass over? Uh, and then a little bit later, they catch up with Kevin Bacon. He's got a, a cameo in this as sort of a doomsday prepper guy who's down the road a little bit. I mean, they're upstate New York, so they're somewhat isolated. But they go and, and find him and uh, thinking that he can help. And I don't want to give away too much, but if if you stick with it, well, first of all, if you're a... If you're a physical media fan, this this movie makes a, a an over two hour argument for physical media. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Just leave it at that. But it, it is fascinating. It holds your interest. You've got movies like The Happening or It Comes at Night come to mind. Now it's not a horror movie by any means, but things are happening that are that are unexplained and what does it all mean? And as you probably could guess, there there is a message at the end. And it's basically that we we need each other, and uh, the 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 state of the not so United States is a big, I think, uh, motivation for this story. So it is a bit long, but again, it's Netflix, so it's one that you can pause and you can definitely <laughs> come back to. Uh, so, but it, stick with it; it is intriguing, and I think you know, don't expect a, a big payoff like a monster or aliens coming down from outer space. That's not going to happen. But I think it is pretty smartly written and pretty. A, pretty effective with good performances and can cause some some conversation yeah. uh, with its message and its moral. So that is on Netflix now called Leave the World Behind. Well, let's go to Shudder next. You know, you don't have to ask us twice. It's bad enough that boarding school students Samantha and Clara can't go home for the holidays. We've seen that lately. <laughs> but uh, things take a deadly turn when a murderous gang arrives on their doorstep just in time for Christmas. This is the sacrifice game. Let me tell you a story. It's not prayers that get God's attention. Oh, no. It's sacrifice. We have to get out of here. They're going to kill us if we don't. It's going to be the best Christmas of your lives. We need to hide. Come out. Blackfell girls, look out for each other. Don't let it out! You're murdering people? Because of some fairy tale you found in some book? We're just getting started. Give me the knife! Get out of here, you murderers! I am the vessel! Where are you headed? Home for the holidays. A few years back, uh, Jen Wexler, who's the writer-director here, she made a movie, a punk rock movie, a cabin in the woods, kind of horror comedy called The Ranger, which was awesome. So we've been looking forward to her next feature, and it's it's very assured. It's very 1971, and, and, and it's a funny thing to say, but I'm a huge fan of the films, horror films that came out in that era and the way that they all, and, and I'm sure it was, it's a, it's a, was a reaction to to. Charles Manson. But quite suddenly in 1970, 1971, 72, American horror really saw um, hippies and cultists and Satanists all bound up together in one group. And that's that's what this nails. It nails that era. Well, there's so much goodness in the 70s. You know me. (laughs) Love me some 70s. So I'm on board. And so that's really what happens is this group of, you know, sort of hippie types, sort of cult, you know, sort of Marilyn Manson types. They go from Christmas. No, you mean Charles Manson types. (laughs) I do mean Charles Manson types. They go from Christmas party to Christmas party and uh, wreak some havoc, some bloody havoc. And uh, and so they're the ones who show up Christmas Eve at this boarding school. You know, and it's a funny thing. It's so 1970s that you just open the door to strangers. (laughs) Yes, we did. (laughs) <laughs> but when they get in there, you know, what they find, what the this, these marauding band finds is not what they expect to find at all. And the movie, you know, and it's not as if it just changes on a dime. You should kind of see it coming a little bit. And I really appreciate the tonal shift there. Also, the performances, all of the performances. Wait, when they get inside, is it Anne Hathaway? Is it's she- not. <laughs> it's not. Um, it, it turns into something a little spookier, a little trickier. And at the end, it turns into something that is very sort of girl power that I really appreciate. So mm-hmm. it's it's much fun. It's It looks 
great. The performances are great. It takes you in a lot of very cool places. I very much appreciated the sacrifice game. Yeah, Shudder winning again. Uh, check that one out now. Let's go to VOD, some VOD horror next. A strange girl may be linked to a local legend about stopping an impending apocalypse. It's called Everyone Will Burn. This is from co-writer and director David Habrero, and this one is going to land on a lot of people's best horror of the year list. If it doesn't, uh, it should. It def- def- if it doesn't, it should is right. And this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Brandon Thomas. And yeah, we know he is a big horror fan, and he loved it. Yeah, he really did. And it it you know it takes you places that you don't expect it to go. And the the cinematography, the way that it approaches all of the horror, is really edge of your seat stuff. The performances. Absolutely wonderful. And a creepy kid. Oh, yeah, creepy kid. Come on, thumbs up for creepy kids. And it's nice, too, that this one actually has a has a time stamp, at least on IMDb, of 2021. But, you know, things were happening. So it's finally getting a, a wider release right. now. And horror fans, do not miss this one. Check out Brandon's full review at madwolf.com. But uh, VOD, starting now, everyone will burn. A good one. Stay with VOD, a horror mystery. An undocumented Filipina immigrant lands a job as a care worker for a terminally ill old man, securing a better life for her and her daughter. But a dark discovery threatens to destroy everything she strived for and holds dear. It's called Raging Grace. You must be the new help. Yes, ma'am. Do try to remember that this is your place of work, not your home. Oreo. Oh, Mr. Garrett, I'm Joy. This is my daughter. Grace. I saw her in my dream. She tells me you've been caring for me. I'm originally from the Philippines. I love the Philippines. I once had a Filipino nanny. That lady gave that old man the sleeping medicine. find a way to be a family again. Go back to the order we had. Before they knew their place. Christy Robb reviewed this one for us. You know, it, she really liked it as well. It's one of those horror films that is sort of, uh, you know, this compilation of microaggressions and you know that it's going to lead someplace horrible. Mm-hmm. But what makes you so tense is that the, the position that she's taken is live in, but she's not allowed to have a her kids, not right. have kids. So her daughter has to always be hiding, and that is the tension. It's like you're always on edge. She's going to get caught, mm-hmm. and she's always on edge. She's going to get caught, and that is why some of the like some of the supernatural elements can slide by you because yeah. you're so preoccupied with where is this kid and is she going to get her fired? It's a very well made tense uh, horror thriller, and it's even more tense uh, if if you're like us and had to hide your baby when our baby was first born because we lived in this tiny little apartment and we weren't allowed to have a child in that on the second floor on that small of an apartment yeah um so we had to hide I can't believe we did that. I mean, we did. It's not like we stuck him in a drawer or no, something. No, we no. just were always on the lookout as we right. came up or down and went outside right. if the landlady for was Helen, what, our yeah, landlady. For Helen. <laughs> anyway, we digress. It all worked out in the end, trust me. But uh, yeah, so that one is uh, Raging Grace. It's on VOD. Check out Christie's review at madwolf.com. But uh, that is another good one. Yeah, tense. Let's go to Hulu for a documentary that highlights the individual experiences of LGBTQIA plus families who, in the face of discriminatory laws and rising hostility, are attempting to establish lives in their communities. It's called We Live Here, Show that the people Midwest. are still shook that we're here. This is the moment. All of a sudden, 2016 came, and it's almost like we went backwards. We're altering what defines a nuclear family. Our world is changing, whether people like it or not. That's the part that people don't realize. Do we stay and fight, or do we go? But where do you go where there's stability and safety? Because it does feel like at any moment, anywhere, it could change. 
This is director Melinda Merker. It's just just 52 minutes, 52 minute documentary on Hulu. And if like us, you live in the Midwest, this will the title will pique your interest right away. They really focus on they focus on Ohio, mm-hmm, our state. Mm-hmm. They focus on Kansas and Minnesota and Nebraska and Iowa, I believe are the states that they hit. And one of the I think the first family that they talk to, it, it resonates because a transgender woman says one of the biggest problems that that she faces is just getting people to see them as people with jobs and lives and families. And that's what this documentary does. You, you get to know them and their stories and the love that they have for their partners and their kids. And they're just trying to, to just live normal lives yeah. like the rest of us. Yeah. And so it's, it breaks down those walls beyond the labels. Oh, they're gay or they're transgender or whatever, and shows them being parts of their neighborhoods and their societies. And really it's hopeful because it even finds people that bridge the gap. I mean, this one this one couple, uh, gay couple, they have become very good friends with their neighbors, even though they admit that, you know, their neighbors are Trump supporters and that's not what they expected, but they found so it, it can happen, you know, get to know people. You get to know people and find out that they're not just a label. No, they're, they're not just, just human. They're human. They're just human. And that's what these these people are trying to do. And this this documentary does a good job of doing that. And really one of the most heartbreaking things, and, and this always comes up when you're talking about these types of, of lifestyles, is, is the church. Yeah. And you've got a woman who... She's very she's to the point of tears that she misses her church yeah. very much. Aww. The church was a big part of her life and and it's not now uh, because of just irony alert judgments about her worth as a person and who she is and that's very sad to see. But there is there is hope as well and you see the people in their communities more accepting and 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 looking ahead you you hope that that is what we're leading to and with and, and documentaries like this, I think, will will help break down those barriers by doing just what the one woman says early on is just look at us. We're just we're just like you. We're yeah. just people. We're we're living our lives or we're raising our kids and doing our jobs. And uh, it's very worthwhile. And even though it is sad and heartbreaking, I, th- I think there's some there's some hope uh, in, in this documentary as well. And I'm guessing by the title. Yeah, that of, maybe they'll hit other regions. Yeah. Colon the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they will hit other regions, and those will be something to look out for, too. But for right now, yeah, definitely recommend We Live Here, the Midwest, and it is on Hulu now. Okay, so now let's move to next week's releases. We're going to be uh, we're gonna be in Key West uh, having some margaritas next week, and we'll think of you. But right now, <laughs> we're thinking of next week's releases <laughs> that we were lucky enough to uh, already check out. This one, with dreams of opening a shop in a city renowned for its chocolate, a young and poor Willy Wonka discovers that the industry is run by a cartel of greedy chocolatiers. Nothing to see here. Just a small group of people defying the laws of gravity. Ladies and gentlemen of the Gallery Gourmet, my name is Willy Wonka. He's good. Too good. Pretty sure I've gained about 150 pounds in the last two weeks. You could change her life, Mr. Wonka. Change all their lives. Run away! Every good thing in this world started with a dream. So you hold on to yours. Here we go, Mama. Mark my words, this is going to be the greatest chocolate shop the world has ever seen. So you're the funny little man who's been following me. I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. An Oompa what now? Yeah, so in case you're wondering, you've probably heard about this already, Timothy Chalamet picking up the role of Willy Wonka. And this is a prequel before the original with Gene Wilder. Yes, that is exactly correct. And it is directed by Paul King, who has done both Paddington movies. So, and it's got very much that feel. I mean, it's whimsical, but it's dialed down a little bit, you know? Well, because so many people, you look back on seeing Willy Wonka as a child, they they remember it being dark and being scared by it, which you're not going to have really, you don't expect getting dark elements from something from the uh, director of Paddington. No, and you won't. And it's actually, honestly, I I really feel like Tim Burton's was scarring to a lot of people (laughs) as well with the big teeth and 
You know, yeah, it's uh, but but definitely, you know, the original Gene Wilder, even if you're not terrified by Gene Wilder or Slugworth, you leave there going, I think some kids died in this tour of this chocolate factory today. So and the Oompa Loompas. Oh, my God, of course. No, it's a scary movie. His Wonka always had just a bit of something ain't right going on behind the eyes. A big bit, a big (laughs) bit. So, yeah, you don't get that with Timothy Chalamet. He does play a very young Willy Wonka and he has come to to strike out and start his fortune and uh, and you know Chalamet is just all naivety and you know and sweetness and he, but he is magical. He's got a lot of magical stuff stuck in his hat. He, mm-hmm. he his first song is about a hat full of dreams, and then that when you finally takes his hat off, you realize oh there's there's carrots in there and there's this little cupboard in there. And so you know there is something quite magical about him. But it takes a minute before you really get to figure that out. Um, and he never loses hope, and he never loses faith, and he is a really lovely character, and he's surrounded by. Um, a lot of, uh, of folks that are trying to take advantage of him, including um, Olivia Coleman. It's always great to see her. Oh, yes. And she runs a laundry and she takes him in for just one shilling a day. <laughs> but don't look at the fine print. And Hugh Grant is the Oompa Loompa. There's only one. And he's been on Wonka's trail for years. And Wonka t- finally catches up with him. And and he's really quite funny in this role. He's very droll mm-hmm. as he is wants to is, be. Yes. It's funny to see somebody dressed like an Oompa Loompa who has his delivery, and that's really a lot of fun. The movie is a lot of fun as Willy Wonka tries and tries to establish himself as the chocolatier that he knows he is. And there's hijinks, obviously, and it's all quite good natured. Uh, I like. I'm I'm a Timothy Chalamet fan. He cannot sing. <laughs> So one of the drawbacks of the movie is that it is a musical, and and as musicals go, not a very good one. But mm-hmm. it's a fun movie. It's a nice movie. I, I can't imagine anybody truly hating it, although I'm not sure how many people are going to deeply love it either. It looks great. The set design is amazing. I mean, it's really quite a gorgeous film. It's a full two hours, so for the little ones, it might push the patience a little bit, but very colorful. Uh, and with, with some things to hold their, their eye interest, anyway, visually. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But very family-friendly. Very family-friendly. And that is in theaters next weekend, and that is Wonka. Let's go back to Netflix for an animated adventure comedy. Having pulled off an escape from Tweety's farm, Ginger has found a peaceful island sanctuary for the whole flock. But back on the mainland, the whole of chicken kind faces a new threat, and Ginger and her team decide to break in in Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Behold. The dawn of the nugget. Last time we broke out of a chicken farm. Well, this time, we're breaking in. It's an impossible mission. They're going to turn everyone into nuggets. Find those chickens. Hang on, Fowler. There go the goujons. Are you sure you're ready for this? I was hatched ready, Dad. We can do this. Yes! Yeah, this is on Netflix December 15th. We had to look it up. It's been, what, 20? 23. 23 years since Chicken Run. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, that is a big drawback uh, with this film because you really kind of have to have seen the first one to get most of the jokes in this one. And I don't know how many of the people in the target audience have seen it. Um, it. It does help, honestly. It helps you to sort of figure out why do all these chickens live on this island uh, and then also some of the side characters that they go back and retrieve. You're, you know what I mean? If you if you have no familiarity with the and original plus chicken you run. don't realize how how crazy it is that now they're breaking back in. Yes, yeah, it, that's kind of the first problem. Is I think that uh, the filmmakers are relying too heavily on the idea that everybody who's watching this movie is wholly familiar with the 23 year old original. Um, but that's not even the biggest problem with this movie. To, to, you know, and we talked about Miyazaki earlier. I'm a massive, giant Aardman animation fan. Huge. Wallace and Gromit, obviously, absolutely love everything Wallace and Gromit. I'm a big fan of the original Chicken Run. Um, and uh, I was really looking forward to this one. But um, Nick Park and Phil Lord are not a part of it. Mm-hmm. And and you feel that absence. You really, really do. I mean, all of the dialogue feels like 
a very watered down imitation of Ardman dialogue. Uh, it still looks more or less like their films, it but does. it feels less maybe tactile, mm-hmm. you know, um, than their other work. The voice work is pretty bland. Uh, new voices uh, this time out. Uh, Thandawee Newton and Zachary Levi take over uh, for the, the main two voices. Now, Miranda Richardson is back as mm-hmm. Mrs. Tweedy. Mrs. Tweedy. She's it's great back. to see her. Yeah, uh, hear her. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> director is Sam Fell. Honestly, Bella Ramsey has kind of the lead role yeah. as as uh, Ginger's chick, who uh, who has she's under the impression that where she's that this this and it's like a it's like a factory farm, mm-hmm. and she thinks that that's where the cool kids are partying all day because of the of the happy chicken on the side of the truck. Yes, so she she goes in there, and that is what convinces all of the other chickens that they need to break in. And Bella Ramsey does a fine job. She's you know she she's a pretty compelling vocal talent. I mean, everything about it just feels like a watered-down version. There's nothing particularly fun or memorable or interesting about it. I found it to be a massive disappointment. And, and the one thing that reminded me of, too, when they're on the actual, you know, what seems to be a very fun place for the chickens to go, it reminded me of Sausage Party because they have the, they have the chickens are under this impression that they, when they get chosen, they're going to be going to some big reward. Right, right, uh, right. That reminded me of Sausage Party, but not nearly as funny as Sausage oh, Party. Oh, my goodness, Or as no. offensive. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that is uh, the sequel, 23 years ago what to chicken run it is chicken run but i will give it points for never once calling nuggets nugs thank they you. never say nugs thank so you. thank you for that it is chicken run dawn of the nugget and that is on netflix december 15th let's go back to theaters for a documentary opening uh next weekend the 15th it follows the work and lives of legendary 1970s session musicians who were featured on some of the most iconic recordings of the era this is called immediate family I would buy records just because they were on it. The creative input of these session guys cannot be overstated. It can't be overstated. Russ Kunkel. Danny Korchmar. And it's too late, baby, now it's too late. Lee Sklar. Wadi. They were just musicians we knew, and they gradually became legendary session musicians. My main goal is to not get fired. (laughs) (laughs) All I can express is admiration for these guys. Four truly great players, all of them masters of their instrument. In hindsight, I was just happy to be there. I've got a band full of brothers that love me. I'm proud of all of it. There's just something really appealing about these documentaries about sort of the unsung quote yes. kind of heroes of music that we all know and love. Yeah, there's there've been some great ones of course an Oscar winner oh, a few years ago was 20 Feet from Stardom mm-hmm. about backup singers. You had Standing in the Shadows of Motown about the Funk Brothers. Mm-hmm. And then the one that this one is sort of a sort of a sequel to uh called The Wrecking Crew, which probably started the whole thing although it didn't get released until 2008 because there were a lot of delays. But this is the same director, Denny Tedesco, and he's just moving the story along. This one moves up to the 70s, and there are a couple of important distinctions if you've seen The Wrecking Crew. Uh, First of all, this one features recent interviews. One thing about The Wrecking Crew, as much as I liked it, man, some of those interviews were old. Yes, they were. And they looked it. Production value is a little shaky, although it told a great story. Uh, And also, the people that it focuses on, if you're... If you're a serious music fan of, of a certain age, or even maybe a casual one, you, you may know these names already. The Wrecking Crew, for the most part, were anonymous. May I may I just pop in here yeah, for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Because you, um, you have been in radio mm-hmm. full-time since you were in high school. Yes. I'm, I'm more than a passing music fan. I'm a music fan. I've never heard of any one of these people. So you didn't... <laughs> were, were, were you... When you got your albums back in the day, did you read all the liner notes, every word? I did, but did any of them play with Duran Duran? No. <laughs> well, that's the line. There it is. Anyway, many people, I think, will know the names. You, you, you've got Wadi Wachtel, a guitar player. You've got uh, Russ Kunkel, the drummer, another guitar player, Danny Korchmar, and legendary bass player Leland Sklar. 
I mean, we've seen you know, we've seen many of these guys, probably all of them, in concert with many different people. I mean, they have worked over the years not only on these albums but on these tours, and they're legendary. And that's who this movie is focusing on. So you see, you get to know more about those four and how they interact with all these different superstars. And there are so, and that's the other thing about uh, differentiation from the Wrecking Crew. It talks to people who are still very vital in the music scene, especially in touring. It talks to Stevie Nicks Mm -hmm. and and Don Henley and James Taylor and Lyle Lovett and Phil Collins, all and on and on. And it's great to see these superstars talk about not only how talented their their side players are, but how much they owe them. You know, when you see a, a songwriting credit, these guys may not be credited, but it's clear it's made clear that they contribute so much to the final version of a song. And much like in The Wrecking Crew, many times uh, the director, Denny Tedesco, shows these players start out with their part, their very famous part, say the opening to Edge of Seventeen by Waddy Wachtel. And we just we just saw him come through just mm-hmm. a few months ago here mm-hmm. with Stevie Nicks. And then it morphs into the whole song. So that's a, a very familiar device that he used last time. And it's great to see that. And it's, it's, if you're a music fan at all, especially this era type of music, it's fascinating. And these guys are... They have great stories, and they're very personal, personable guys, great personalities, and, and over the years they've come to be a quote-unquote band of brothers. So um, especially if you saw The Wrecking Crew, this is sort of the natural progression, not mm-hmm. only with these particular individuals, but you know the music, like the movies, changed a lot in the 1970s, yeah. and that follows that as well. And then looking ahead to some of the changes that are coming now. So it's it's a very good music documentary. Uh, and if you haven't seen The Wrecking Crew, you'll probably want to go back and look that one up after checking this out. Uh, I did enjoy it. It's Immediate Family, and that'll be out on December 15th in theaters. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Time again to head to the lobby, check in for the latest news and notes with Daniel the Schlocketeer Baldwin. What's shaking? Well, first up, there's a bit of a streaming shift announced. Um, after this year, future A24 films will have um, HBO Max as their streaming home instead of Paramount Plus. So if you're if you rely on streaming for your A24 fix, um, A24, I guess. <laughs> Uh, keep that in mind as we head into the new year. Good to know. Yes. And Barbie finally hits HBO Max on December 15th. So if you're still waiting to see it, mark the calendar down for that one. Is there someone that's still waiting? <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to believe, know. but there probably are. <laughs> I, I imagine they'll be marking their calendar for rewatches more than they are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also on December 15th will be the premium VOD release for Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, which is a very different kind of movie. It yes, is. very. And hitting premium VOD on December 19th is Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, which is another very different kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All three good, though. Yeah, they are. Yes, yes, they are. Um, Emerald Fennel's Salt Burn will be available to stream on Amazon Prime beginning December 22nd. Oh, that's going to be a fun holiday film to watch with the folks. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Well, then maybe they can palate cleanse on January 1st when The Equalizer 3 hits Netflix. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then uh, Disney is giving special theatrical runs next year to three of their COVID-era animated features. Um, Soul will hit screens on January 12th. Oh, so good. God, that's good. Turning Red on February 9th. Love that one. Another great one. And Luca on March 22nd. Oh, those are three winners right there. Yeah. Oh, nice. See, I honestly think this is an excellent idea because I don't, I don't think we've ever really talked about it, but, um, you know, December 21st of 2022, uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish came out. And then there wasn't a single other wide-release animated movie for kids and parents until uh, Super Mario Brothers hit on April 5th this year. Wow. So just an utter dearth of yeah. titles. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's the case for the upcoming release calendar since things keep moving around, but if it is, at least Disney's plugging a bit of a gap there. And those are all three so good. And none of us ever got to see them on a right, big screen. Right. Yeah, Soul is gorgeous. Oh, I can't wait man. to see that on big yeah, screen. Yeah. Well, now's the bummer news. <laughs> Universal has set a June 21st, 2024 release date for The Bike Riders. Very, so very. a long wait for that one. Yeah. Very far away. I, but I was thinking when I saw that, that well, okay, it's to a brand new distributor. They m- might have had their schedule set already and had to force it in there. Yeah. 
Well, and then, yeah. you know, maybe they think it's a summer release. Maybe they think, you know, it could be popular. It's I want to ride motor- my bike. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I uh, want it now. Right, but, right. All right. It's getting dropped dead in the middle of a bunch of blockbusters. But then again, so was Asteroid City this year, and that still did pretty well. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. Uh, speaking of Universal, they have set a December 25th, 2024 release date for Robert Eggers' remake of Nosferatu. <laughs> Christmas bitings for people next Bring year. Bring it on. <laughs> They'd originally had that date um, locked down for Jordan Peele's next movie, but I'm guessing with all of the production shutdowns due to the strikes this year, that's probably not coming out around then. We probably won't see that one until early 2026. So this is a good trade-off. Okay, yeah. Are very meticulous and might take a long time, but not this one. And on on a final note, here's another positive. Um, Godzilla Minus One continues to do very well day-to-day, even on the weekdays which is odd for a subtitled film, even one with a giant monster. <laughs> and box, o- <laughs> box office tracking for this coming weekend for Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron is higher than expected as well. Like both are going to be in the top three or four for the weekend, which is kind of wild for the United States. Well, you know, we noted, at least here in Columbus, you can if you go to see uh, The Boy and the Heron, you can choose which one you want. If dubbed or yeah. English language. It's that way here, too. Yeah, okay. nice. Okay. Bit of a change of pace for the box office. Yes. Not, not so much Marvel and sequels <laughs> galore. You know, and right now, Godzilla seems to be one of those movies. I have not run into one person anywhere on social media or in person who didn't like that movie. Love it, even. Well, and the ones who... I, I haven't found anyone who hasn't liked it, either. And the the few people who haven't seen it yet plan on seeing it this weekend. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. You can always catch up uh, with the latest from Daniel on socials at the Schlocketeer. We'll see you in a couple weeks. All right. See you then. We'll be back closer to Christmas and get into those Christmas releases. But until then, we are off uh, to Key West. We'll drink one for you. Uh, We still love to talk about the movies, though. You know that. It's always good to uh, keep the conversation going. You can do that. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram and threads at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of the written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast brand new and about to drop by the way mm-hmm. that's called fright club you can find that all at madwolf.com so happy holidays we'll talk again in a couple of weeks enjoy the movie she is hope mad he's george wolf and this is the screening room podcast see ya i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner bye okay everybody that's a wrap 